Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Michael Elliott, Executive Director of Marketing, and Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data at Second Watch. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back to a new season of Cloud Crunch. Now, in this season, we intend to address many of the difficulties and the opportunities of your evolution in the cloud. We'll hit upon topics covering application modernization, enabling cloud-native development, data insight, and cloud economics. Now, normally, I'd be joined this season with the ever-present, ever-learning Skip Barry. However, he's still on holiday. So sitting in the co-host seat today is Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data at Second Watch. Greatly appreciate you sitting in that co-driver seat today. So welcome, Fred. Thanks, Michael. Happy to be here. And I'm joined by my favorite coworker, Evie Hatsopoulos, who I've had the pleasure of working with for the last five years. There we go. Thanks for joining, Evie. Good morning, guys. So favorite coworker, that's not going to get you in trouble back in the office, is it? No. Nah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> For the viewers, we'll understand. <laughs> and I do need to say, I mean, it is International Women's Day, Evie, so we expect great things from you today. Oh, I will make my women proud. <laughs> Love it. Think about my daughters. You know, she's getting ready to go to college, so it's a great time to celebrate women in general, especially women in STEM. Yeah. Does she know where she wants to go? We're working on it. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's, it's a hard decision to make at like 17. So, uh, I don't remember that. But anyway, let's move forward. <laughs> so in our last episode, we covered kind of don't leave out your data and analytics elements when migrating to the cloud. So let's kind of continue on with that theme. So in today's episode, I want to kind of cover how to create business intelligence. So I always want to kind of start off with, what is business intelligence? Yeah, it's kind of funny. The word uh, business intelligence has taken on a different meaning over the years. You know, I think originally we were back in the 90s, it was called decision support system back when I was in school. That's the textbook I was learning from became business intelligence. And, and now I think the hot word is analytics, right? So when you think about BI analytics, decision support systems, they're all kind of the same thing, <laughs> but it's really about taking your data making sense of it and getting some kind of business value out of it. And there's a lot of ways to do that. There's a famous BI maturity curve that I don't necessarily agree with anymore, which is, you know, you start with the what happened, then you go the descriptive, then you get to the diagnostic, which is why did it happen? And then you get to predictive. And I think there's a sentiment among organizations that you have to hit each stage along that curve before you can move to the next one. And I think what we're seeing now a little bit is, you don't necessarily have to. Sometimes you can start with the diagnostic. Sometimes you can start with the predictive. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, Evie. Yeah. I mean, I think the main point of BI is just end users that aren't hands-on keyboard, you know, interacting with the data often just to get a sense of kind of what's happening within the organization. And there's never really a bad time for them to get eyes on what's going on, right? What's interesting, though, is the more eyes you get kind of on these data sets that we're visualizing, the more interest there is in the data itself. So I would agree. I would say kind of throughout the whole journey, there's not really a bad time to introduce BI. Yeah. And Evie, are you seeing kind of the same trends I'm seeing? I feel like 10 years ago, a lot of the reports that were created were 
largely driven by IT. And it was this big centralized data warehouse controlled yeah. by IT. Centralized reports were created, distributed to business users. And a lot of the business users, all they were kind of doing was saying, no, oh, that doesn't look right. Yep, that's right. And it wasn't really spent analyzing the why behind the data. It was more looking at the numbers and making sure that they were actually what they thought they were. And that was kind of it. <laughs> yeah. And I think now the getting kind of the business users involved with the design of the dashboards and also kind of understanding the business rules that are going into it, because it did used to take a long time. And I think it was a really stressful process, both for IT and the end user, because they'd want to kind of get insights on what's going on. And then, you know, the dashboard that was delivered to them, maybe it wasn't the metrics they were expecting to see or kind of things weren't moving along as they thought. So then you have to work backwards and understand, okay, well, what filters went into this and what business logic went into this and what data sets are we missing? And okay, you know, you're doing a bunch of stuff kind of silent over here. We don't have eyes on that. So I think, you know, what's been cool is we're seeing a trend where the business is getting way more involved with IT to kind of build out what we want to expose and what data sets we want to use. And it's really mimicking the business operations versus IT's idea of, you know, what that business logic and what the business operations are. So there's a shift going on between IT driving this and the individual business units driving this. Yeah. And I think we've seen this change a lot. And I think when I think to our most successful projects, it's a, it's a partnership between business and IT. You know, and again, I think back to 10 years ago or, you know, even longer when, um, it was like Abby said, it took a long time to create these things. Sometimes it was a one to two year project and it was done in the traditional waterfall SDLC. Let's go gather requirements from the business. Let's go design it. Let's go build it. Let's go deploy it. Here you go, business users. Here's your reports. Um, but by that time that happened, um, like Abby said, it, you, they either it wasn't what they expected or maybe people turned around or maybe the business changed. And it's just not a great way of doing um, of doing analytics because um, I think business users need to see what's possible first, right? And that's why this kind of iterative, more agile approach towards uh, building BI and analytics platforms has been way more successful than it was in the past. I was going to touch on that too about the iterative approach. I feel like maybe in the past, like you said, Fred, all the requirements had to be gathered up front. And then like you unveiled this massive dashboard that was supposed to be, yeah. you know, the best thing ever. And now at least what I'm saying is we'll kind of roll out a dashboard with some functionality and we'll let end users kind of play with it and see what they like, what they don't like. And then we'll just keep rolling out additional features on that same dashboard. So it kind of grows with, you know, what their needs are. Um, and they're loving it. You know, they get excited for these rollouts. They're not waiting months and months and months for a new dashboard. It's kind of what you're used to and we're tweaking it a little bit. Or if, you know, it kind of spins off into an additional dashboard, then they're happy about that too. But kind of keeping them engaged and keeping them involved in, in what IT is doing, um, I think they like it because it's also like their voice is being heard, right? At the end of the day, these dashboards are supposed to service them and kind of, you know, help them see what's going on and what needs to change, what's, you know, what's going really well. Um, so I think the more involved they are, uh, the happier probably IT is too, because the less complaints and ad hoc reports they get. So kind of benefits both sides. So let me ask you this, who's now paying for this information? Is it still IT? that's driving and that you're having a conversation with actually financing these business intelligence dashboards or is marketing, is finance, is sales? Are these other departments starting to 
to be more in the driver's seat around this is the business intelligence we want and coming to you and hopefully partnering with IT versus IT driving it? I think it very much depends on the um, on the BI maturity of a given organization. When, um, when you look at uh, your analytics platform or your data platform as an IT product, one of the first thoughts that come to mind um, from CIOs is how do I cut the cost? How do I save costs on this? I'm spending so much money on this thing. Um, but when you've got it driven by the CFO uh, and you're starting with financial data and making it easier for folks to be able to dig into the transactions and tie the general ledger to your forecasts and run predictive algorithms on top of that and get a better forecast out of it, um, you start to see business, individual business units paying for some of the cost of doing some of these bigger projects. And it, you know they also don't have to be these big one to two year engagements anymore. You can start with a very simple use case, um, you know, get a couple business users involved and build something very skinny, but end to end and use that to expand upon over time. I think too, once you kind of start involving different business units, it's important to think through your tool selection because different departments are going to respond differently to, you know, the dashboard. Maybe the finance department wants something more like a Sigma where it's kind of Excel-esque and, you know, it's really easy for them to grasp you know, what, what's being told and they can download it and kind of do their own manipulations, but it's off of a trusted data set. So it's, it's kind of like a familiar interaction with the tool. Um, but the data behind it is kind of the centralized data warehouse versus something that they're just exporting or extracting or kind of doing on their own local computer. Um, so yeah, so I think maybe what works really well, if you're starting with, um, you know, the marketing department, maybe they want more visuals. And then when you're, you know, trying to get finance on board, you can think through and get a little bit more creative about, okay, what's really going to resonate with them. So we're getting everyone across the organization really excited and really invested in what we're doing. Yeah. And I think one trend I've started to see is, um, you know, again, 10 plus years ago, uh, I, you would centralize around one BI tool and that was it. And you had a lot of the business logic and code going into this BI tool. Think, you know, business objects and, um, and OBIE and Cognos, uh, these were big lofty systems that were created. And if you wanted to access reporting of any kind, you had to do it through this. Um, and I think like Evie said, uh, this is changing a little bit. There's a lot of innovation happening, um, you know, in the data platform space. You know, we see that with uh, products like Snowflake, we see it with DBT. Um, around the data engineering piece, we're seeing a ton of new innovation. And I think the analytics side is what's going to come next. You know, I, th I think to, um, you know, a company uh, called Sisu, and they focus 100% on the diagnostics, so the why. Um, and that's really interesting, you know, you know, when you think about the context of COVID now, um, you know, retailers in, in particular are dealing with supply chain issues, right? You know, this is a common problem. Everyone knows about it. Um, and if you look at some of the research, who do uh, customers, I guess, blame or feel is responsible for when an order is late or it never arrives or, um, you know, uh, it's back ordered for the next couple of months. It's typically the retailer that takes the, the brunt of this. So, um, you know, Sisu kind of uh, looks to take all this data you have and tell you why things happen. So why was this shipment late? Why are these shipments here late? Um, and then more importantly, what can we do about it? So. How can we increase the loyalty of this customer whose order we just were never able to ship out? And you can start to use this big data to get to the why more so than looking at the numbers and seeing why, you know, how many returns we're having and trying to figure out what to do from there. And it's a lot faster too, because if someone were to 
invest that time to kind of understand why things are moving up or down when it's not, you know, extremely logical. I, Fred, I forgot the example they use, but it was something about military bases and Samsung phones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a great one where um, they're trying to essentially uh, figure out why certain geographies are not uh, upgrading their phones. And it turns out that they weren't marketing or advertising to places where there were military bases, which were strong buyers of, uh, of the brand. And so combing through that data, we see a lot of this happen kind of organically. As like Evie said, you're looking at dashboards, you're digging into the details. You might create a permutation of that dashboard and start to dig into the data. You might bring it into Excel, but that's a lot of analyst work. And I think what some of these tools uh, like CSU now are doing is to almost empower the analyst to be a little bit more um, uh, more effective at what they're doing, to be able to find these trends, why things are happening, and then bubble that up so that business leaders can make better decisions on how to act on this more quickly. So I want to go back to something you said, Evie, um, around thin data sets. So is it one data warehouse, data lake, help me with the terminology, and and are there issues with creating a thin one when you need to start that expansion as other departments and other data sources come online? Well, I think the important thing is just to kind of start, right? So even if the data that you have in your, your data warehouse is kind of skinny and it's a small data set, I think still communicating that that is the data set we're working off of and then being very open to requests. So if there's you know a business unit or a person that has been running his own report off of a system and he really likes it and hit all of his fancy business logic is in there. That's fantastic. But like, let us bring that into the data warehouse that we're building, you know? So I think it's not about like telling people to stop doing their independent work. It's more so, Hey, let's, we love what you're doing here and you've done a lot of the grunt work and it works. And if you like it, probably 10 other people in your role will also like it. So let's just find a way to move that into our environment. And then that way you kind of start like organically expanding um, your data warehouse, right? So that it's, it's more valuable to more people. Um, but I think, yeah, the important thing is just to kind of get started with that initiative. Yeah, and I, I've got a great example around that is you see this a lot with data science team in that they're building kind of parallel uh, data pipelines to the data warehouse initiatives. And there's a reason for this, right? Um, not every data warehouse is going to have every uh, data point that they need. But if you bring the two together and um, you've got data science teams now taking the data, like Evie said, from a centralized trusted place where that data exists today, and augment that with the data that they're missing. This might be external data or just some raw data at a very fine grain that um, that the data warehouse hadn't been modeled for yet. Um, you can start to use this trusted data um, and have your own pipelines running off of it. And we see this at a lot of really successful organizations that are a little bit more mature on the analytics side where uh, they've got data analysts embedded in, within the business. And so it's not necessarily a matter of wait for the data engineering team to go build it in the data warehouse. But when there is a trusted source of data, so you know, say the trusted uh, source of what a customer record is, you don't have to go reinvent the wheel. You can take it from there. And you know, I think uh, what helps drive a lot of this is again, you know, better products that are coming out that do different things. Um, ThoughtSpot is a great example. Evie, I know you, you've seen that as well. Where um, you know, from a data discovery standpoint. Uh, I've got a customer right now where they've got so much data out there that business users don't even know what's out there and what's been built. And with ThoughtSpot, they're able to plug it in and start just kind of looking for it, almost like a data catalog in a way. Yeah, ThoughtSpot's pretty cool. If I um, 
remember correctly, it, it lets you like tag certain elements of your business. So if, you know, across the organization, you use three different words to really mean the same thing. If you tag all those things the same way, you can just search that one word and then all the data pertaining to those three individual things kind of pop up. Um, so it's a lot, it's a much faster way kind of to what we were saying about CSU too. Like you could do that, you know, an analyst can sit there and do that manually, but these tools really, really accelerate that process. Um, and it's just a matter of knowing when to bring them in. And I think once the data is at a place, like Fred said, where it's trusted, um, then you kind of empower people to say, okay, these are the tools that we're, you know, looking into, we're doing demos, we want to bring these guys in. And this is kind of what it would allow different units to do. And like I said earlier, it's like, depending on the department, maybe some gravitate towards one more so than the other. That's totally fine because, you know, at the end of the day, the underlying data set is, is consistent and it's the same. Um, so it kind of allows you to keep a lineage and then, you know, empowers people to do cool, cool things that they you know, if they want to visualize the data a certain way, they're, they're able to do that. Yeah. And I think the commonality there is that um, uh, you have to build your logic inside of your data platform, right? Not captured within these individual business intelligence tools because 100%. they will, there will be others coming at some point, someone in some uh, business unit will bring a different tool. Well, that brings me to my next question. You know, you're talking about tools and, and applications. Once, once you've built this, how self-sufficient are clients to be able to then evolve it? Great question. I feel like that kind of depends on training, right? Like some of these tools, I mean, you, you, you need to know kind of how, how they operate. Um, and you, what you don't want to accidentally do is manipulate it so much that it no longer is showing what, it, what you intended it to show. Cause you know, you can go down a rabbit hole with a lot of these tools. So I think proper training is important. Number one, they need to understand the underlying data side, right? That's the most important piece here. What data is it comprised of? What is it missing? Um, just so they don't accidentally think, oh, okay, well, this number is a hundred and all of these factors go into it when in reality, maybe they don't. So I think having a really good understanding of the underlying data sets important and then understanding, you know, the best way to visualize that data in these respective tools. So they can go off and kind of build their own reporting while it's still a consistent message. That's kind of tough because you want to empower self-service reporting, but I think, you know, if you, if it's a free for all, it, it can kind of take a, a bad turn. <laughs> and I think, I think it's a matter of knowing your audience too. Um, you know, during uh, data strategy projects, we are able to, you know, pretty quickly figure out what type of organization they are, some of the uh, change management that needs to happen and what's going to be successful and what isn't. Um, you know, I, I remember uh, a client from a, a long time ago where, you know, it was again, a, a one-year data warehouse project and they, they rolled out a big BI tool, enterprise BI tool. And uh, the mantra was, IT is not going to create reports. Um, everyone in business is going to do that. And so when you're asking um, a sales rep of a manufacturing company to go create their own reports off of uh, data using a tool that, um, you know, is even like Evie said, a little hard for um, some more power users to understand, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's kind of a, you know, the, the build it and they will come not being true. But uh, if you think about some organizations as being a mix where you've got some, you know, the majority of business users, when they look at a dashboard, the most they're likely going to do is look at it very quickly, just like, you know, um, you know, we would, uh, you know, I think about it almost like recruiting with uh, resumes, you glance over it, you look at it, you get the information you need and you move on. Um, that's going to be, you know, maybe 80%, maybe sometimes more of the business, but that 20%, that 10%, um, they're going to be the ones who can dig in 
and try to uncover some of these insights that are in that data. And again, I think some of the tooling that's going to come out and some of the innovation there is going to continue to chip away at that to make that 80-20 number kind of become a little more balanced. Yeah, and I'm probably a little bit like that uh, user you described where I go to Beth on the second watch team because I'm afraid of breaking something. So it's giving me 80% of what I need. I just need that little bit more. I won't touch it. I'll let Beth help build that for me. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's why I think, you know, when you think about organizations and the power of a business analyst or a data analyst, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen the business analyst role be almost lessened to a degree, right? Like there used to be business analysts kind of all over the place at organizations. And now, you know, I think the trend is coming back a little bit where we're seeing the value that BAs and, and data analysts bring, but they are absolutely invaluable embedded in business units because they can do kind of those things that you were talking about, Michael, and dig into the data and try to figure things out and then bubble that up to you so that you can make the next decision. So last question for me, where does artificial intelligence and or machine learning fit into really extracting that business value? I think it's in a couple ways. One, we're finally at a place where I think it's not just kind of a niche fad. I remember one organization a couple of years ago that went down an AI project simply because there was a mandate from the top that we need to do AI. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Yeah, there is no business use case, but there's real problems being solved today using machine learning and there's things getting into production. But, you know, I think the hardest part of this is getting these models into production. We've got all the data. Organizations have the talent. It's building up to certain degrees. We're getting the tooling in place. And now the question is, more around what use case do we go after first and when do we do it and how do we get it into production and then how do we sufficiently explain it so that we can give the organization trust that what this model is saying is accurate and i think you're seeing some tooling out there as well again you know going back to sisu they kind of combine the two right the diagnostic it's a combination of running ml and sql queries together over and over and over again again, looking for patterns. So if your loyalty rate or your returning customer rate has gone down over the last couple of days and your number of, let's say, late orders has also gone up, the next question is why? And machine learning can help you kind of figure out the reasons for that. Not necessarily, you know, a couple of years ago, what we used to see is I want to know the percent likelihood that this sales order or that this sales opportunity is going to close and be won. Now it's more, what are the attributes associated with this one being more likely to win or more likely to lose? Evie, any uh, final thoughts on that? I think with AI and just machine learning in general, the roadmap is really important. A lot of clients obviously want to jump to predicting what's going to happen with a certain use case or metric without really understanding what has happened historically in the past. And you don't necessarily need to do one before the other, but I think it kind of just helps your data get to a bit more of a mature state in order to really take full advantage of the data science component. So a lot of times, like we'll have these clients and, you know, I have one in in mind right now, and I know they have a bunch of use cases and a bunch of metrics that they kind of want to get a grasp on for, you know, this year. And, almost all of them have kind of a machine learning component to them. And our recommendation is, I know we want to get there, but let's do these, you know, three things first before we can get to that component. And that's not going to be true for every organization. And like Fred said, there's tools that are kind of enabling a little bit of that sooner, 
But I think when you're thinking about machine learning, that roadmap to kind of understand what am I trying to get out of this? What answer do I need by the end of this is really important in order for that to be successful. That's absolutely spot on. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Fred and Evie, for joining us today to kind of go over and discuss how to create business intelligence. Any final words of advice to companies looking to extract BI out of their data? Start small. Start very small, right? Find a use case that's difficult to solve in your world today, whether you have a data warehouse and you have BI tools. What's not working today? What takes a long time? And get moving, right? And iterate. Yeah. And also, if you want to kind of gain some excitement around the organization, people are visual, right? So that's probably the best way to get them excited about what you're trying to do on the data front as well. Awesome. Well, happy International Women's Day to our audience. Thank you for listening to our show. Now, this podcast is intended to add value to any large enterprise that is planning on or moving to or is currently focused on leveraging the value of the cloud. Send your comments or suggestions to cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com. I'm Michael Elliott. Have a good day. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Michael Elliott and Fred Bliss. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com forward slash cloud dash blog. Or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter and LinkedIn.